0: All right, so as I said, we will back up a little bit uh, into what we were studying and and where we were last week. So let's pick up uh, in Ephesians 4 and let's read starting in verse 11. We've got a few folks coming in and getting settled in. We'll let them do that. Ephesians 4 verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed Here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body, For the building up of itself in love. So last week, as we closed out, we talked through verse 11. And that says he gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And we kind of talked a little bit about each one of those roles and those responsibilities and what those were for. Now, Let me just ask, and anybody can answer this quickly, do we still have all of those roles in the Lord's church today? I see people nodding their heads no. Why? Don't have apostles and prophets. At that time, the word of God was not complete. You couldn't pick up a Bible and get the instruction that is complete that we have now, right? So there were apostles and prophets, and we won't go back through you know, all of what they did, but there were apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and elders who all provided the structure as per Christ, right? This was Jesus' design, and he left them here. So that we had that structure to work with within the Lord's church. Now, again, we we don't have apostles and prophets today because they are not necessary. We have the complete word of God, so there are no longer apostles and prophets. And of course, the other thing about apostles, what could they do that uh, other Christians could not? Yeah. That's exactly right. They had the power not only to perform miracles, but they had the power to then give gifts, right, to members of local churches so that they could then confirm the word as well. But those folks could not pass those on, right? Once they got them, they could use what they were given as a gift, and then when they died, those gifts went away with them, right? But this was all for what? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. King James Version says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Work of service, think about what we are here to do. And of course, he's you know, teaching the Ephesians here, but we are to be perfected so that the work that we do is what is exactly the way God would have us do it, right? They were to be prepared just like we are to be prepared. Now, we have elders in this congregation. We, have, we are uh, fully scripturally Set up, if you will, as the pattern is that we find in the New Testament. We have elders, we have deacons, and we have all of the rest of us as members, right? The elders are responsible for overseeing this congregation and the direction that we go and what we're taught. But it's our individual responsibility to mature as Christians so that we are fully prepared to do whatever work there is for us to do, right? That is our responsibility. God had work for them to do just like God has work for each one of us to do. And we follow the directions so that we can do that work properly. Verse 14 says, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. When you are a babe in Christ, when you are new to the gospel, newly converted out of the world, you are in a situation where you cannot uh, process a lot of the things that you're taught because you don't have the maturity to do so, okay? Um, He says here through inspiration, verse 14, no longer to be children. When you are a new convert, you are a child in Christ right? You are not a, a mature uh, Christian. You are a Christian, but you're not a mature Christian, and it's easy for you to be um, tossed here and there, and it says, by every wind of doctrine. So think about that just, just a little bit. One of the great advantages of being in a congregation like this where it is scripturally formed and we have elders and mature brethren that watch out for the souls of the congregation and watch for deceitful teaching and watch for things to come in to the church that are going to take us in the wrong direction. But for those of us who have been members of smaller congregations uh, that may not have been fully organized, where you did not have elders overseeing the congregation, it's easy to have uh, error, deceitful teaching brought into that church. It happens all the time. If you have not experienced that, you will at some point. We all have to make sure that we are matured to the point so, so that we cannot fall to the trickery of men. Let me ask you, if you've experienced false teaching, oftentimes does it come in bold and open where, you, where it's easy to identify? Hang on just a minute and and let's get a mic.
1: It starts with curiosity and then at least sometimes you say uh, to the person, I want to be your friend and then it starts off as a friendship and it starts off gradually and you think everything is okay and good and everything and then before you know it, bad stuff happens.
0: Yeah, it, it is a gradual thing. Uh, oftentimes. And if you are not mature, it's easy to hear something, and it may sound good initially, right? Um, A number of years ago, there was a false doctrine that was going around, and a congregation that we knew some brethren in very closely because we had worshiped with them, They had a situation where there was a couple that got this doctrine going and started taking members of the congregation and teaching them this off to the side. Elders weren't, they had elders, but the elders were not aware of what was taking place. When they became aware, they dealt with it. Unfortunately, these folks that had been taught this false doctrine had spent enough time learning it and the folks that were teaching it to them were very crafty. That would be the best word that I could use in presenting that. And that group actually split off from that congregation. It's, that's, it's serious. It's very serious that we know the scriptures so that we can uh, make sure that we are not tricked. Right? Right? Now, it's on, those, it's on those folks that teach that, that trick others. I mean, it's on them. They'll stand accountable for that in judgment. But if we're not prepared to make sure that, that we can see it and we can understand it, we recognize it, so that we can stop it quickly, right? That, that's our responsibility as mature Christians. But make sure you know and understand that each one of us, whether mature or immature, are going to be accountable for how we deal with uh, doctrine that's taught. Let's look at Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Hebrews 5, verse 11, concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, have their senses trained and discern good and evil. So, is this talking about new converts, babes in Christ? No, it's not. He specifically says, you should be in a position where you are now mature. And you have chosen not to. So just being here is not enough, right? Worshiping with a sound congregation where teaching is, uh, is very direct and very proper is not enough. What do I do with that teaching when I receive it? Do I apply it? Do I understand it? Do I mature from it? Or do I wind up like what we see here in Hebrews 5? He says, verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need for someone to teach you again the elementary principles. What's an elementary principle? Okay, something basic. Uh, Would you be offended if I said, I'm going to send you back to elementary school? because your language arts skills are are horrid. I wouldn't say mine are all that good, so maybe, that's, maybe that would be something I need to uh, apply myself, but that would offend you, would it not? If I said, yeah, you made it through college, but man, you're sorry over here, right? We need to send you back. Well, spiritually, sitting in a pew for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years does not automatically give us the maturity that we should have by listening to sound teaching, right? It's up to us to decide, are we going to take that? Are we going to apply it? Are we going to grow in it and learn by it and make personal applications so that we do not need to be retaught things that we should already know and understand? All right, I'll get off the soapbox. Look at uh, verses 15 and 16 back in Ephesians 4. Verse 15 and 16 says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together, By what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's an interesting statement, speaking the truth in love. So, what do you think that means? Okay. Mitch.
2: It's a contrast of what you have the previous verse, right? The previous verse is saying you're being deceived by trickery. You're being deceived by crafty words. You're being deceived by wind of doctrine. And it's uh, making a contrast of that's how the world tries to pull us away. That's how the world tries to influence the world. And speaking to Gentiles in a Gentile culture where they're surrounded by philosophy and all these things all the time, that would be very appropriate, similar to today, where people try to trick us up on points of uh, doctrine by using specific phrasing or specific words to try and catch us in a way. And it's, it's just making a contrast of, while well, those people do that. We deal with truth. We speak truth. We don't try to answer their trickery with more trickery or more crafty words or try to outfox the fox, as it were. But we just speak the truth.
0: Very good. Thank you. Yes. uh, We do not have to be in any way ashamed of the truth.
1: I think in teaching, if someone's bringing trickery, false doctrine or whatever to us to try to convince us of that, uh, bouncing off kind of what Mitch said, we speak the truth, but in love. We don't just... I don't know how to say it. Uh, you, You don't just ignore or try to push them away and say, oh, they're teaching false doctrine. You are in love supposed to teach them correctly, but not to do it in a way that's mean, but in out of love, try to convince them of the truth and where they're wrong in a loving manner. Does that make sense?
0: No, it makes perfect sense.
1: Kind of got muttered out. But so
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. Did a good job. Makes perfect sense. So yeah. if I mean you think about some of us have been Christians for a very long time, right? Me included. But the fact that I've been a Christian a long time does not give me any advantage over the person who has not yet obeyed the gospel, hasn't heard the gospel or obeyed the gospel. Other than I'm saved, they are not. But the same blood of Christ that would Wash away their sins is washing away my sins, right so when I talk to them, I need to have enough care for their soul that I approach them in love now that doesn't change truth right i can't I can't uh, muddy truth or dumb it down so that it 's not really god 's truth. I have to uh, present that truth but I do it in a, in a very loving manner. got Carrie back here around the corner. A couple of things I would just
1: make note of. A couple of. One, it's not necessarily referring to oral speaking. It is referring to holding to or walking in truth. So it is, it's an admonition to us that we need to be walking in truth. And the matter of uh, having truth in love, love sometimes can be tough. It is not always, you know, the idea of kindness. But we, you know, I grew up with the idea of tough love. Love sometimes hurts. And so it's looking after the, the best in the other individual. And so we need to make sure it's an admonition that we are in truth. We are walking in truth. We are walking according to God's law, God's commandments, God's scripture. But we're doing that not just for ourselves, but we're looking out for the other person, what's in the best interest of the other. So I don't think we can limit it just to our oral
0: discussions with people. It is a manner of life for us. No, I agree completely. Thank you, Carrie. Very good. Very good. All right, so, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. We see this idea in a number of places, uh, and especially in, in Paul's writing. This idea of a body. Now, I believe this is is talking about, um, in this sense, the local church. And each one of us in the congregation, the congregation does not function fully if each one of us is not supplying what we are supposed to supply. And again... If you think about a human body, and we don't have time to to go to the example of that in Scripture, but if you think about the human body, for those of you who are uh, a bit older as I am, I can tell you the joints that I have don't work the way they worked when I was 20 years old. They just plain don't. So that means that there's other parts of my body that have got to make up for that, right? Now, fortunately in the congregation, each one of us has our role, has our place, has the things that God expects of us until or unless we're gone or we don't have the mental capacity to deal with it, it doesn't matter how old we are or how rough our physical body may be, we can still fulfill the role that we have as part of the body of Christ here. We have to think about being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. What is my proper working as part of this congregation? Think about that. Are you doing everything? And, and this is a great congregation of the Lord's people. Are there individuals here who can do a little more, me included? Absolutely. Each one of us needs to think about what is my role. In the end of this, verse 16, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. If I'm fulfilling my part and my role, then the entire body is in the position where it can be built up and it can grow. So each one of us is accountable for uh, our lives and our service. All right, unless there are other comments, let's move on to uh verse 17. All right, let's go ahead and read verse, uh, verses 17 through the end of the chapter. So, this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. Which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Therefore, laying aside also falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving each other just as God in Christ also forgave you so in this second half we see the contrast being made between the old man and the new man so let's start here in Verse 17, the King James says that ye henceforth walk not as the other Gentiles walk. And New King James says that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. When we obey the gospel of Christ, there should be a stark difference between the old man and the new man in the way that we walk. Now, for those who grew up in the Lord's church, I don't know what that's like, but I've observed it many times. So when a 13-year-old obeys the gospel and they've grown up in the church in a Christian family, that is a different experience. Now, they still have to come to an understanding, a clear understanding, so that their obedience is proper. But if you, well, like I was, 25 years old, uh, I became, I was taught the gospel through my wife and, and one of her brothers. I was living in the world. When I obeyed the gospel, that was a dramatic transition for me. Because I was not, I was not, uh, I believed in God, but that was about the sum total of any connection to Christianity that I had at that time, right? That is a very different situation. And because of that, it was a complete change of life. Most of the friends that I had weren't friends for very long, because I quit doing the things that I did with them, which were not proper for me to do as a Christian. And because of that, you know, when I when I started talking to them about the gospel, they were very much in a situation where that was not something they wanted to hear. That was not a choice that they were interested in making. So that was a very different walk as the new man than as the old man. It should be a very different walk as the new man than the old man.
1: And here's why. Because as if, if I'm in the world and I hear the gospel, and it convicts me, I'm not going to have that maturity to fully understand this is not how I walk anymore. It's, got, it's going to be a transition, and it may take years to occur. So, yes, I understand the fact that I've put on Christ, and the believer has put on Christ, but that believer may not fully understand the scope of the change.
0: Oh, no, and that's, that's going to take time. You're absolutely right. Okay, so I just want to make they sure won't. what we're saying. I can tell you I had no idea all the things that I was going to need to change, but there were things that I had been taught and understood that I needed to change immediately. No, I was not. It's not like you come out of the watery grave of baptism and you are a mature Christian. Not at all. Not even close. But through influences, you continue to grow, you continue to mature, and you learn and understand. And folks, I mean, we've all been around new converts where there are things we need to teach them immediately, and there are other things that we are going to, little by little, help them to understand because they don't have the maturity to understand it initially. And I would add, those who, those who are mature need
1: to be patient for those who aren't. They give them that opportunity to mature and grow and not look down upon them for they're not being where they are after 30 years. We need no. to be encouraging, not discouraging.
0: No, you you are absolutely right. And I'm sure there were people that twitched from time to time when in my early Christianity. My wife being one of them. Yeah, what she said for those who were online is that all of this is done in love. And when we think about that and we understand that, we should be very much able to be patient with brethren. Now, we can't, you know, it's a, it's a fine line that we walk there. We can be patient, but but things that need to be corrected, we must teach them. I mean, we must teach them in love. But there are things like, here's a discussion I won't open up here, but think about if someone is in an unscriptural marriage. I've known brethren that said, baptize them, and we'll talk about that later. That's not not what I would do. (laughs) I would say, in love, I must teach them this so that they have an understanding of where they are in relationship to God and what they may have to do In order to be in a right relationship with God, if I love them, I teach them that, so they can make that decision. uh, And I don't, I don't (laughs) baptize them, and then, uh, then we go there. Just real quick, it's the
2: difference between patience and tolerance, right? We we have to be patient. We cannot be tolerant.
0: Very well said. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. I was going to try the long arm over the pew there, but.
1: I think if we remember how patient God is with us every day in our life, even as maybe a maturer Christian, it makes it a little easier for us to be patient with others. And that's something we all have to work on on a regular basis.
0: Very well said. Yes, patience, practicing patience with others. Well, you think about anything when we're dealing with someone else. If we think about God's love toward us, God's patience toward us, how he, what he has done for us, we should be the most patient people in the world with others, right? But as Debbie points out, that's what we need to need to think of. I'm going to let you get that one. I need the exercise, but...
3: So I think to this point, and I thought about it earlier, I think about Jude, um, verses 20 and kind of following. Um, it starts off with... Uh, keep ourselves keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously and talks about the mercy that God showed to us but then goes on to say speaking to those who are in error have mercy on some who are doubting save others snatching them from fire and on some have mercy and fear hating even the garment polluted by the flesh and I think there I think about that verse obviously speaks to what we've been talking about here for a little bit the mercy and love that God shows to us but then Likewise, I think about these verses that there are certain things that we need to be snatching people from the fire, you know, more direct, more, you know, you, you hate to say it, violent, as far as the—and then there are other things that we need to have mercy
0: and maybe bear with them as they grow and mature. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. There's, there's a lot of wisdom that we have to apply with new converts— that we will only apply if we are mature Christians, right? If we have not matured to the point where uh, we have a clear understanding of of those kind of issues like you're speaking about, uh, we won't recognize, is this something where we're snatching them out of the fire, or is it something where uh, we show more long-suffering? Very good. Good comments. Thank you. All right, so... What does the word up here in verse 17, walk, what does that represent? I'm sorry? Okay, yeah, okay, I think this, you know, this walk is all of the activities that we're going to have in our lives as Christians, right? Our walk our daily walk, our daily path that we are following um, as Christians. So no longer walking as the Gentiles who are uh, following Satan, and that's who directs their walk. That's not who is to uh, direct our walk and remind you that he said, okay, here's what Christ provided, apostles, prophets, uh, elders, teachers, evangelists, so that you will have the information that you need to make that proper walk. Verse 18, it starts describing how this man lives his life uh, outside of Christ. Actually starts in verse seventeen in the futility of their mind, or King James says, in the vanity of their mind. What does it mean to have a vain mind or a futile mind? Okay. Okay, very good. Say it again for us. Very much much self-centered. The futility or the vanity of their mind. Very much self-centered. And verse 18 says, darkened in their understanding. Their mindset is framed in the things of the world and the direction of Satan. Darkened in their understanding. Excluded from the life of God. Because of this lifestyle that they have chosen, they are outside of a relationship with God. Because of the ignorance that is in them. So, is ignorance intentional or unintentional? Okay, yeah, I heard both from a couple places. I, it is, I think it is often, and I think in this case, uh, intentional, but sometimes it's unintentional, you know, the the saying, you don't know what you don't know. Uh, but I think oftentimes those who are in the world, they have made a choice, and they are following the choice that they have made to be intentionally ignorant. I've uh, joked with my wife many times, uh, you know, sometimes ignorance is much less painful than knowing, right? (laughs) Because if I know, then I have a responsibility. If I am ignorant of something, okay, I don't have that responsibility, right? And I, and I don't mean I should be ignorant. I, I don't mean to say I want to choose that, but, um, in, in the case of these folks, they are choosing their ignorance. Because of the hardness of their heart, or uh, King James says, because of the blindness in their heart, which is an interesting way uh, to put it. And then, the, and then that kind of goes along with uh, verse 19, having become callous. Or King James says, who being past feeling." If you think about a callus, what does a callus do? It's yeah, it's hardened. Like if you play the guitar, you get you know calluses on your fingers. Those get hard, and then you don't have the sensitivity in in those fingers because of those calluses. Well, these folks have a calloused heart. They have chosen, over time, to harden their hearts, so that the gospel goes nowhere. They have no love for God. They have no respect for Him. They will not listen because they have allowed themselves to have a calloused heart. Now, that's their choice. Carrie, around the corner, please.
1: As the classroom. Wraps up, but to me, verse eighteen and nineteen connect very well back to Romans one. God provided evidence of His ex- existence, and for them to, for the Gentiles to seek them, seek Him, but they ignored it. So God yeah, made no, known think- Him, made known Himself to them, but they ignored it.
0: Very accurate. Thank you, carrie Thank you all for your good comments. We will pick up there at uh, verse 19, verse 20 next week.